Hey, it's Martine. Thank you so much for listening to Post Reports. My new co-host, Elahe Izadi, and I love bringing you stories from around the newsroom. But we also love reporting our own stories. And right now, I'm working on something that I can't wait for you to hear. While I'm out reporting, you're going to be hearing from some of my colleagues who are filling in as guest hosts, along with Elahe. I'll be back at the end of the month. In the meantime, today you'll be hearing from our wonderful guest host, columnist Jerry Brewer. Enjoy the show. The Lost Generation. Ever since the pandemic began, we kept hearing that phrase, describing students whose education was upended and who slipped behind in school. I wondered if my own kids would be part of that lost generation. My oldest was in the second grade when he went back to in-person school for the first time. That was the spring of 2021. I'll never forget dropping him off, watching him take that long walk from our car back into the school building. I remember crying. I didn't know what I was sending my child back into. I didn't know what these years of pandemic would mean for him or for kids around the country. This week, we all got some devastating data that shows just how lost this generation of students might really be. We are seeing, for the first time, historic declines that we have never seen before, particularly in mathematics. And so it is a big wake-up call for us all. It is time for us to think seriously about resetting education in this country based upon what this pandemic has uncovered. Peggy Carr is the commissioner of the National Center for Education Statistics. And this week, her organization released the test results for something that's considered the nation's report card. Officially, it's called the National Assessment of Educational Progress, and educators use that data to get a clear picture of how students are progressing academically. This year, that picture doesn't look so good. What this really is telling us is that this country has a long road ahead, and it's going to take some time to climb back. Laura Meckler is a national education reporter for The Post, and she spent time this week looking through this data to figure out what it really means. In some cases with this, these data, we saw 20 years or more of progress erased. You know, spent years climbing incrementally up this score scale and then, whoosh, all gone. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. It's Tuesday, October 25th. I'm Jerry Brewer. I'm a sports columnist, and I'm guest hosting the show. Today, we're discussing this unprecedented decline in kids' test scores and all the anxiety that comes with it, especially for parents like me. I talk with Laura about the data we're seeing and why it's so alarming to teachers around the country. This data comes from a national test called the National Assessment of Educational Progress. And the reason why this test is particularly important is because it's been administered for more than 50 years to students, a representative sampling all across the country. So this test is not important for how any one individual student does, but it is important for us to understand how things are going in general. And and it allows us to make comparisons to past years because it's the same methodology being used. And as you wrote, those results are a bit troubling. 
What are the test scores? They are not good. No one was expecting them to be great, and those expectations were were met. What they found was that there were actual declines in how students did on these tests in both fourth grade and in eighth grade. The number of students who were proficient in eighth grade math, for instance, went from 34% to 27%. There were actual declines in the total numbers that they scored, what their results were. There was an eight-point drop for eighth grade mathematics. There were three-point drops for reading at both the fourth grade and the eighth grade level five-point drop for fourth grade in math. What we basically saw was across the board, there were declines in math and in reading, and in particular in math. The math declines were, were more severe. And it wasn't just that we saw a decline in these national numbers. It's that they were widespread across the country. You know, these test scores have never been all that great, to tell you the truth, and there's always been a lot of concern about how American students performed on them, and essentially it just got worse over the course of the pandemic. So why math? Why are students struggling so much in math? Well, you know, as it turns out, having an actual teacher teaching you math is pretty important, um, and that education was disrupted during the pandemic. In some cases, because kids were learning from home, in other cases, the school was just not back to normal. So, you know, you really need intensive instruction in order to master these concepts. Now, reading was bad, but not as bad. And and the what researchers surmise from that is that essentially reading is something a number, you know, parents can say, you know, go read a book and the student can go read it. And a parent is much more comfortable saying, you know, tell me about the book. What happened? You know, tell me about the characters. You know, you don't really have to have a um a degree in education to have a conversation with somebody about what they've read. But Try talking to your kids about what they're learning in math. A lot of parents feel really kind of out of their depth right away. So, you know, as especially as the students get older and the math concepts get harder, that was really hard for parents to do at home. And that's what one of the reasons that we saw such a decline. And Laura, there was this great debate about the worth of online learning versus in-school learning. As you assess these scores, did did schools and states that that held their students out of school longer test worst was there any correlation to that you know that was one of the things i was really looking for in these data cuz i think that's something that people really want to know there really wasn't a lot of correlation to tell you the truth so for instance california it took them a really long time to get back to school in in some cases there were kids in california who never saw the inside of a classroom last year Compare that to, say, Texas and Florida, where the governors essentially ordered all schools open right at the start of last year. So those were very different situations. But their scores were not that different. You know, they were separated by one point. They declined in all three of those states. Uh, So we asked the people who run this test, you know, can we draw any conclusions? And you know, they said no. They really didn't see the conclusions, at least based on these data. So that's an area that's going to need more study to see if we're able to draw any better conclusions. From here, we don't have them. 
And I should add also that some of the places that struggled the most to get back were the large city schools. And there were actually some bright spots in these data from the large districts, particularly in reading. And, you know, as we discussed, reading was not as challenging as math, but we saw a bunch of these big cities stay steady in reading. So in one, Los Angeles actually had an increase in their test scores, which was a true outlier. You know, the last time this NAEP program administered the tests right before the pandemic, we did see declines. In fact, they were the first declines that had been registered. Now, these declines were not as significant as what we just saw, but we did see the numbers go down um, slightly. So there were some red flags waving even before the pandemic that schools were struggling. So I, I don't think it's only the pandemic, but I think Really, if we're looking on the on the whole at these results, you, you cannot disassociate it from the COVID impact because that clearly is what's driving this. What's the reaction been like, uh, particularly among educators and officials from various states? So, you know, not shockingly, what I found when I've been looking at the reaction that's been pouring in over the last day is that people tend to use this uh, information and this report as a way of bolstering positions that they had before they ever saw this data. People who thought that we need more federal spending said this was proof of it. We need more federal spending. The president of the national PTA a group that urges stronger connections between parents and schools said that this could not be a more urgent time for a strong family school partnerships. We also saw some that were more political, frankly, and that is some conservatives who are very supportive of, say, school choice and want taxpayer money to be available for um, private schools said that this proves it. Former Education Secretary Betsy DeVos, for instance, said in, in a statement that Children were being essentially held hostage by a one-size-fits-none system that isn't meeting their needs, and that this data shows that they need more, what she would call, education freedom. From another conservative, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, he said that this shows that Florida was right to reopen schools quickly. Well, the data does not 100% support that. Their results were not all that much better than California's results, who took forever to go back. So I'm not sure that that's true, but that is what he said. We had from California, meanwhile, they were sort of crowing about the fact that, hey, you know, everyone's on us for having kept schools closed, but our results weren't any worse than anybody else's. So they were um, essentially patting themselves on the back a bit, even though, again, their scores dropped. But they were saying that, you know, we've been working on summer school funding and tutoring and other initiatives. And so that's helped keep it from being worse than it might have otherwise been. Do you have any idea whether this data will uh, affect the way schools operate? How serious will, will they take this data? Or is it just one piece of information to the puzzle? Well, you know, you hope that educators were already taking this seriously, right? I mean, because this is so disturbing. I do think that to the extent if anyone needed a wake-up call, this certainly offers offers one. As your Secretary of Education, I want to be very clear. The results in today's na nation's report card are appalling and unacceptable. 
Um, the Secretary of Education, Miguel Cardona, said if you look at this data and you're not motivated to get to work, then you're in the wrong profession. If looking at these outcomes doesn't make us want to double down on system-wide academic recovery and use federal funds to provide more opportunities for students, if this doesn't have you fired up to raise the bar in education, you're in the wrong profession. He clearly hopes it will be somewhat of a motivator. But honestly, I think that most people in the field know that they've got a problem. And whether they're effectively addressing it or not, we will see over time. But these, these problems have been clear. I think really what what this report underscores is just what a deep challenge that we have right now on education. The problems are so widespread right now, and particularly schools that are, you know, high poverty and a lot of kids who are already struggling. And if you think about layering on another piece on top of that, it just is kind of mind-blowing how overwhelming that really is. And the question I have as we go forward is, you know, is this a situation where this is a setback and then kids bounce back? And that may be the case. Or is this a situation where, you know, kids were pushed back and it really is what some have called a lost generation where we never really see this cohort recover? I don't think we know the answer to that yet. After the break, we talk about potential solutions and what you can do as a parent about the anxiety over learning loss. We'll be right back. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. So what about solutions? Does anyone have any ideas on actual solutions that could help these students get back up to speed? Yeah, there are, there are ideas out there for sure. And I should say there's money out there as well. The federal government has, has sent um, nearly $200 billion to states and districts to help them get through the pandemic. And a lot of that is meant to be going toward recovery of lost academics. Some of the ideas are Intensive summer programming, um, intensive tutoring, you know, it's um, where you really have a lot of time in small groups or one-on-one with a tutor. Extended day. And what one school leader told me was that we lost time. We lost instructional time during the pandemic. We will make up for it with more time. Those are the ideas that are out there. You know, the problem also is that the impacts of the pandemic were not purely academic. They're also severe social emotional consequences, students not doing as well just mentally um, with their own state of being, a lot more fighting at school, a lot less maturity on the part of kids at all of all ages. So when you are dealing with all these other things, it's really hard to learn. So it's not like we're just picking up where we left off. We're actually picking up where kids are in a 
worse state. But those are some of the ideas. He used that money to really get some direct attention, academic attention to the kids who need it most. Laura, it's all very frightening for me. I have a, a first grader and a fourth grader, and, and the notion of a potential lost generation uh, of, of children. Where do you see hope? And where are you concerned? Well, you know, I think all of us as parents, I'm also a parent. In fact, my kids are are in fourth and eighth grade, which are the years that were tested for those particular um, exams. So I can certainly relate to these concerns. You know, I, I saw them struggle with online learning during the pandemic for sure. And, you know, it's especially true that as kids get older, so this is a little bit of, of solace to you, Jerry, as having slightly younger children, I mean, the stakes go higher. So it's easier in some ways to to make up learning for really young kids. But it doesn't just happen, you know. And I do think that parents who are asking these questions and, you know, what's going to happen with my kid and should I be worried are probably also parents who are you know, taking the time that's needed to try to help their kids recover. But, you know, sometimes it really is easier said than done, and you don't always know, like, how much of what's going on is pandemic-related and how much of it is just, well, this is what's happening with my kid. It's it's impossible for any one of us to really sort this out. So, you know, if like I said, I have an eighth-grade eighth grade son, and, you know, he may struggle with writing. Would it be better if he had bit, had more in-person, less hybrid education over the course of the last few years? Maybe, maybe not. You know, I don't know. But it is, um, it's just something I think that we all just have to like, are going to have to just stay on top of for like a long time, which um it just goes to show that this like, you know, this parenting stuff isn't isn't for the weak of heart. You know, it just keeps going. Yeah, I try not to think about everything on a linear path, but I'm still used to being that that parent who wants to see every progress report, every report card and just see progress, progress, progress. And I think that's been the most difficult thing right now is that. Uh, in certain areas, you don't see that. And and that's what's toughest to deal with, I think, as a parent. Yeah. And I think we have to, you know, we have to lean on the educators, the teachers who our kids have, you know, to tell us when there's a problem and, and when we're being, you know, just kind of hyper-concerned. Everything is not a crisis. There are some benchmarks that are important, like, for instance, knowing how to read by third grade. is That's an important benchmark because... After that, as they say, you you stop learning to read, you start reading to learn. So that's an important important thing to hit. You know, there are some important pieces here in math concepts. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons this report has been alarming is because, you know, in eighth grade, you're doing pre-algebra. In some cases, you're already doing algebra. And those are gateways to the higher mathematics that you're going to get in high school. And if you, if you don't really have those, you're going to struggle in high school. And then, you know, the stakes just kind of keep going up. So, yeah, don't, Jerry, don't harass your kids' teachers too much. I'm sure they're doing fine or they will be doing fine. But, yeah, it's um, it's scary sometimes. Laura Meckler, thank you very much. Thanks so much for having me. Laura Meckler is a national education reporter for The Post. Sabby Robinson produced this story. 
That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Rena Flores. I'm Jerry Brewer, in for Martine Powers and Alaje Azadi. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen.